0: So, we're kicking off a new series today called And Live in Freedom. And uh, this is the second half of our mission statement. We exist to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. I believe the number, I didn't count, so you can correct me later, Um, don't do it right now, that the number of sermon series that we've done with the word redemption, I think it's nine. That's a lot. The number of sermons that we've done with the word freedom in it is one. And so um, we said, we've been neglecting the second half of our mission statement. We exist to help all people experience redemption and live in freedom. Those things don't always work hand in hand. In fact, Let me start off this series with a premise. The most miserable people in the world, the most miserable people in the world are those who have experienced redemption but aren't yet living in freedom. One of the reasons they're so miserable is because they have found the hope, but the hope hasn't actually produced hope. And so they think that there's no hope. This morning... And over the next four weeks, I want us as a church and as individuals to become more free than we ever have. If you can remember back to high school or college, back when we would go in person to these places, and you remember finishing your last class of the semester and you walked out of that class, there was a feeling on you that nothing else could fabricate. That feeling of freedom. You're an adult now, and so you only get that when you check out of work on a Friday, and you have the next two weeks off. Amen. You walk out, and you go, this is freeing. That sense of freedom is what the Christian is supposed to walk and live in on a consistent basis. We say that our mission statement is to help all people. So let's start with that real quick. How do we help people do this? Two ways we all help together. One, we create a church that people want to attend. Number two, when they get here, we preach the gospel. That's how we help. We help all people experience redemption. We've talked much about that. I've already mentioned it today. Redemption happens only through the cross of Christ, the payment for our sin. But then we help them to live in freedom. Well, how do we do that? That's what this is all about. We're going to look at it today through three questions. What is Christian freedom? And therefore, what is it not? How does a Christian become free? And what are the noticeable results of Christian freedom? We'll start with question number one. What is Christian freedom? And therefore, what is it not? First, let's get an understanding of freedom. Freedom. Two definitions I want to give you um, from freedom that I think are generally understood but bear repeating. Freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Freedom is also the power or right to act or do or think as one wants without hindrance. These two definitions give us two different pictures or ideas. Of freedom. The first one is simply the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, of living in a free country, right? We say that one often, uh, or, or not being in school anymore where you felt imprisoned. It's the, 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 just the, the living where there's not something that is over you telling you you have to this or that, The second element of it, though, is the power or right to act or do or think as one wants without hindrance. I actually think these two definitions need to be combined to create a full understanding or picture of what Christian freedom is. Romans 6.16. Romans 6 and Galatians 5 are probably the two of the most helpful chapters in us understanding our Christian freedom. We'll look at them a lot over these next few weeks. Romans 6.16 says this, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. The point there that um, Paul is making in Romans is that there are multiple types spiritually of enslavement. Therefore, then, there is multiple types of freedom. Paul is saying that everyone is enslaved to something and therefore, consequently, then free of something else. Paul lays it out in two ways here when he says you are either enslaved to sin or you are enslaved to Christ. If you are enslaved to sin, then you are, in essence, free of Christ. If you are enslaved to Christ, then you are free from sin. There's no middle ground. You are either enslaved to the one and free from the other, or enslaved to the other and free from the former. These are the two statuses uh, that you and I can live in. We will all be enslaved to something and free from something else. Now, the work of the gospel, of course, Christ, is his redemption payment was the payment for us in order to become free from sin and to then be in Christ. Some basic observations from this text would show us that, that freedom in Christ um, leads to life, but freedom in sin, though free, leads to death, which then brings in the second definition. See, the second definition was this, the power or right to act or do or think as one wants without hindrance. Another term or definition used there is the power to act or do or think as you want without regret. Follow me here. You and I can be free, fully free in sin to do whatever it is that we want. We can be free from Christ, free from what we think is the religious obligation of living a a Christian life, and we can be um, um, free in, in our sin, which means we don't have to obey Christ. But if we are, the text teaches us, then it will lead to death. And I would say death is a major hindrance to perpetuating life. In other words, if you say, I just want to be free, I want to throw off the shackles, I want to do whatever it is that I want because I want to be free. You, if you say that, are only free in half of the definition. You're not actually free because you can't operate in that without hindrance because the sin or the act of that leads to death, which is a hindrance. Which means even if you think I'm living in freedom because I don't have to listen to any of this, you're not actually by definition free. It's a fake freedom. So then, How is it that we can live a life where both definitions are accurate, where we can be both free? I don't feel as if there's something ruling over me, controlling me, telling me I have to do this. We can um, observe the first definition, but we can also do, live, think, act as we please without hindrance or regrets. How can we achieve or arrive at that type of freedom? Romans 6:17 says this But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed Here's what's happening in Romans 6:17 It is satisfying the first definition of freedom the state of not being or feeling right enslaved or imprisoned, when we enter into Christ, it changes the desire of our heart in such a way that even though Christ rule over me, I am not imprisoned or enslaved because the desire of my heart has changed. And so I am now compelled or desirous to do all that Christ would want me to do. So it is therefore not imprisonment. Ah, but the second definition too, to be able to act, do, think, as we please now i warn you this is where sometimes where christians start getting a little uncomfortable there are christians who push against the idea of christian freedom because it doesn't feel safe because it doesn't feel controllable the second part of the definition is to be able to act or think or do without hindrance or therefore regret. How can, that po- how can that be possible? I will submit that the only way that that can be possible is that if no matter what it is that I do, no matter how bad, no matter how horrible, no matter how sinful, that if there is a way in the spiritual realm that I can do that thing and it not have consequence in the spiritual realm. That is the only way to this type of freedom. And I can tell you that that statement of what I just said is contrary to the weight of religious obligation, which is the opposite of freedom. See, most of us live in a, an environment or in a Christian paradigm that still thinks this, I do something and then God responds in kind. Or I continue to do something and therefore God continues to do The only way that we can actually be free is if it no longer matters what a child of Christ does as it relates to their standing before God. Some of you, you can't agree with me here. So let me give you Paul's words. All things are permissible. What do you think that means? I'll tell you, it means all things. Romans 8, 1. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me give you an example of this. It means right now, I could sin in front of all of you. I don't know what that looks like. I'll make fun of someone's hair, whatever. Okay? I could do that right now. And, 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 and would it have natural consequences? yes. It would, but would it change my standing with God? Not a bit. Not a bit. I am a child of God, and so are you. And if you go home and sin today, you know what you still are? A child of God. Now, some of you already know what you're thinking. You think, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you follow this path, that means that the Christian can do whatever they want and it's going to lead them into a life of crazy sin. They asked that of Paul too. They said, Paul, you can't talk like this. If you do that, people are going to do whatever they want. They're going to take this grace thing and they're going to carry it to ways that God never intended it. And so, um, Paul, we can't just talk about grace. We also have to talk about grace and like something else. And because I think Paul knew that that would be a question back then and it would be a question today, he responds to the question and he says, that's nonsense to think because I can tell you that now as somebody who is free in Christ, the last thing that I want to do is to sin towards you. Why? Because I've been set free from that. But here's the freeing thing. If my flesh wins in a moment and I do sin, what I don't have to do is anything else or earn it back to get my right standing with God. And so therefore I'm free. Because the sinful act will have no, listen, listen, listen. The sinful act will have no spiritual consequence as it relates to your standing with God. We have to correct this. Might it affect your natural life? Absolutely. Are there natural consequences to sin? Certainly. Certainly. Might it affect in a way like the relationship that you feel or sense or experiencing with God through his spirit? It could, yes. Will it change your standing as one who is righteous before God? No, it will not. You know what it says in the scriptures? It doesn't say that you will be made righteous. It says that you are righteous because you now have Christ's righteousness. This is a liberating idea. Let me try to give you an example to understand a little bit. Somebody might say, um, I am free to jump out of an airplane. And you are free to jump out of an airplane. I would recommend doing it with a parachute. You might say, I want to be totally and utterly free. And so I don't want the parachute. And in the moment you jump out of the airplane without the parachute, you are no longer enslaved to the parachute. But guess what? You are not free. You know why? Because there is a direct hindrance called the ground to you doing anything else. Friends, this is what chasing sin is. I want to be free. Go ahead. The ground is coming. I guess if I was following the metaphor, I didn't think about this before my sermon. So we'll see how this comes out. Being in Christ is like jumping out with the parachute because you want to experience the joy of skydiving. It's really fun. If you haven't done it, I highly recommend it. And experiencing the joy of skydiving. And if you get in a moment where you think, I don't want the parachute anymore. The spiritual splat never happens. Instead, you just keep falling and eventually, God's so good, he's going to come back up and hold you again. And maybe you free fell for a while and you spin and you get crazy and do all of this other stuff, and it's not how you're supposed to do it. But in maybe the most ironic statement I've ever made, Jesus already took the splat (laughs) on the cross. He already took it. The freeing part in this then is that when you and I fall into a sin as a Christian, when we think, oh, I splat, I don't know the proper word there. And then we think, now I have to pick myself back up off of the cement. And, 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 and not only do I have to like get back up to where I'm, I'm flying again, but I actually have to like somehow climb back up to the airplane. And Jesus already did it all. Let me give you a couple definitions then. What is Christian freedom? It is both not being enslaved to sin and operating in such a way that leads to life without hindrance. How can life be lived without hindrance when you are secured in an eternal life from something greater than yourself? What is Christian freedom? It is the ability to walk in righteousness unencumbered from sin where your choices inevitably lead to life. What is Christian freedom? Christian freedom is walking in Christ in such a way that produces life and is the desire of your heart. What is Christian freedom? Last way, Christian freedom. This will be our working definition over the next five weeks. Christian freedom is living in the spirit and enjoying the fruits of the spirit. Some of you say, well, how do you know I'm not living in freedom? I can see it on your face. Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Which means where there isn't freedom, there is no spirit. But where there is spirit, there should be freedom. Okay, so how then does the Christian become free? If Christian freedom is living in the spirit and enjoying the fruits of the spirit, how is it that the Christian becomes free? Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For freedom, Christ has set us free. What an interesting statement. First off, it does teach us how it is that we became free. How does does the Christian become free? Christ sets us free. Christ sets you free. At the end of our sermon today, or sometime during this series, people are gonna say, okay, but tell me what I need to do. The very essence of the question, tell me what I need to do, is an indication that you might not yet be free. Christ sets you free. The whole point of the book of Galatians is you and I can't free ourselves. The whole point of it is that every single time that we take Jesus and try to add something else into it to make us right before God, then we're nullifying the cross of Christ and we're putting ourselves in a different type of slavery. Christ sets you free. So you're like, well, help me understand that a little bit. Jesus helps us understand it in John chapter eight when he says maybe the most famous words in the scripture concerning freedom, when he says the truth will set you free. The truth of what? the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel will set you free. And what is the truth of the gospel? It's that Christ paid for your sins once and for all on the cross. That when Jesus died on the cross, it was for all sin. And if it was for all sin, then it was for all sin in your life, past, present, and future, from the moment of your salvation. It means that when you embraced Christ and you said, Lord, forgive me of my sin. He wasn't just saying, okay, everything that's happened in the past, I have now taken care of, but make sure every time you sin, you run back and pray this again. When you ask for forgiveness for sin in that, in that moment, Christ saw it all and he forgave it all. Some of you you're freaking out already. So that and you're saying, so it doesn't mean or so it doesn't matter now what I do after that moment? Read Romans. No. You so, say hold on. We're back where I started a couple minutes ago, by the way. Where Paul was when people are like, so now she can now we'll just do whatever we want. So you say, well, yeah, but I heard people that raised their hand once and then they just did whatever they wanted. Well, first off, I'd say, read the parable of the sower. But secondly, I would say this. You, until that person breathes their last, you don't know what God's doing. Okay? Thirdly, I would say this, going back to point one. When truth has set you free when the truth of the gospel has really set you free and when the truth works its way in deeply obedience love desire to follow christ comes naturally from the changed heart I got into this conversation with a former member of our church who lives out of town now, and he said, I'm arguing this with this guy about baptism, and I'm trying to convince him on why he should get baptized and all of this. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I said, great, just stop arguing about him getting baptized. I said, stop arguing with him about getting baptized and remind him of the truth of the gospel, of what Christ did for him on the cross, because once he understands that, I promise you, he's going to go jump in a river. Some of us, we look at people and we say, yeah, I know, but don't you know that this person is doing this and this person's doing that and this person's caught in this sin and this person's caught in that sin and doesn't this scare you and and what about this and what about that? And the response to all of it should be the same. Remind them of the truth of the gospel because I I promise you, once it fully engulfs their heart, that behavior is going to change. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Which means, friends, our task as a, as a church body, your task as a, as a follower of Christ is just to keep going back to the truth of the gospel. It's to keep going back and to say, I was dead in sin and Jesus made me alive. It is a gift, not a reward. A reward, by definition, is something you do, you get because you deserve it or you earned it. A gift is something that you get simply by the grace of the giver. Paul's words in Ephesians. The liberating nature of the gospel is in in a moment when the heart turns on to Christ, Uh, in the moment when when, when words of repentance come out and the Holy Spirit has ignited a new fire inside of you, and you realize in the moment that I am experiencing this right here in this moment, not because of anything good in me, but because of all of the goodness in Christ. and 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 it begins to break you to say, how now can I not just live for you and worship you? And then the the freedom begins. But see, Paul warns us in Galatians 5. He says this, do not submit. Where's the verse? He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. What's Paul teaching us there? Friends, he's teaching us that there's a tendency in the human heart to return to our imprisonment. He's teaching us that there is something inside of us for, for, I know we've given a new heart, but there's this flesh thing that still exists. There's this this tendency to return to this place of enslavement or imprisonment. At the beginning, I said this, the most miserable people in the world are those who have experienced the saving power and redemption of Christ, but they've allowed themselves to come back into an enslavement. And Paul actually mentions two different types of enslavement. In Galatians 5.2, he says it this way. He says, look... I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. That's way one. Way two is this, Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That there are two types of enslavement. There are two types of enslavement pre-redemption. I talked about them a couple weeks ago. One type of enslavement pre-redemption is enslaved to trying to be your own savior and doing whatever it is that you want. And saying, I'm going to be free and I'm going to do whatever I want. Another type of enslavement pre-salvation is when you say, I'm going to be really, really good, and then God is going to own me. Then we experience repentance, hopefully. We come into salvation, but then those two same imprisonments can come back. They can come back. The first one looks like this. When there begins to be a sense of obligation in your mind and your heart on what you have to say, do, or think to remain in proper relationship or status with God. That's the first one. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Galatians 5 two when he says, listen, if you, can, if you accept this circumcision in their hearts, if they accepted circumcision, what they were doing is saying, the only way I'm really going to be right is Jesus and I also have to do this. The moment in your head when you say, the only way I'm going to be right with God is if I have Jesus and I do this, then you have thrown back on the shackles of enslavement. Enslave enslavement in this way, Christian enslavement, has a tendency to compound upon itself. And so you put it on, you say, it's Jesus, plus you also have to do this. It's the grace of the cross, but you also have to do this, and that will make your status okay. And what typically tends to happen is then you begin to add other things and other things and other things and other things and other things. And at some point down the line, there's like Jesus and 30 other things that you have to do, and it leads to tired, exhausted people. And it is the complete opposite of freedom. There's probably a way I could have phrased this. I would have said it this. You feel like you're right with God when you do. And you could fill in the blank. When I read my Bible every day, when I give, when I show up to church consistently, when I got baptized, when I don't swear, When I do this, all of those things I listed are probably really good things. Guess what they add up to when it comes to your salvation? Nothing. If I don't read my Bible for another year, I am a child of God. Not another year like I haven't in the last year. I was like, why are we letting this guy preach? Read your Bible, man. If I don't do another thing, my status isn't changing. If all I do from here on out is wrong, my status isn't changing. But you know what? What? I'll be honest, I just couldn't do it because there would come a moment when the longing in my heart would be for the one who set me free. And that's what Paul's getting at. He's saying, when you've been set free by Christ, you can try and run. you are going to come back. Friend, the role we do play in this is not allowing anything to be added on to what makes us secure in our salvation. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do the things that I just said that we shouldn't do. I'm not saying that some of the things that we do aren't good to encourage. It isn't good to encourage people to read their Bible. And sometimes people are like, you know, you're making it an obligation for me to read the Bible. No, I just want to see you grow up in your faith, right? The... the, the rubber meets the road when it is the question of, if I don't, then God won't. Now, the other side of it, Galatians five sixteen, he says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's saying the other type of enslavement is when we then start beginning to run after sin again, and, and, we, and we choose sin. It was the second thing, and it's another thing that a Christian can be in where, where they've been set free by Christ, but now they're running after sin, and they're, they're choosing after sin. You say, well, I don't know what to do in that moment. How do I help somebody who's like that? Just keep reminding them of the truth of the gospel because it is only the truth of the gospel that will set them free. And so when somebody comes to me and they says, hey, did you know that so-and-so was doing this? Or do you, you know that so-and-so was doing that? And I say, yeah, I do know that. They're doing that. Go, Aren't you scared? Aren't you worried? And I can say, I long for my brother's repentance. I long for my sister's repentance. But I'm not scared because I know that the truth can set them free from anything. And so we'll just keep reminding them of the truth of the gospel. Okay, question three. What are the noticeable results of Christian freedom? Remember, Christian freedom is living in the spirit and it is enjoying the fruits of the spirit. Christian freedom is living in the spirit and enjoying the fruits of the spirit. Some of you already know where I'm going with this one. So what are the noticeable results of Christian freedom? Galatians chapter five. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. What are the noticeable results of Christian freedom? If Christian freedom is living in the spirit and enjoying the fruits of the spirit, then the noticeable results of Christian freedom is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I think I skipped some of them around, but you get the point. The noticeable results of Christian freedom are laid out right there when the Holy Spirit is bubbling out of you. Now, you could probably walk through that list and go, are all of those things present in my life? you would say, okay, I'm going to work really hard at being more joyful. I'm going to work really hard at doing this because I have to be this in order to be free. Can you take a moment and understand that statement? I have to do this in order to be. No, no, no. When you notice that there's not love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things may be present in your life. What are you supposed to do? You're supposed to go back to the truth of the gospel, not force yourself to learn how to be more kind or loving or joyful. Whatever fruit of the spirit that you are right now, you're not that because you taught it to yourself. You are that because Jesus formed it inside of you. So go back, examine deeper the truth of the gospel and let all of that now begin to come out. That's the first result, a noticeable result of Christian freedom. It's people that are that loving, joyful, free, you know, whatever, whatever. But here's the second one. The second noticeable result of Christian freedom. We have to ask ourselves, who is the most free? Who was the most free? Who is the one? Who was the one that was free from the law? Who was the one that was free from sin? Who was the most free? Christ christ Now i think you guys are smart so you can see this you know what the second noticeable result of christian freedom is self-chosen enslavement to christ and others The second noticeable result of Christian freedom. I think Christian freedom works on this like circle almost. And when you start getting back all the way around to the other side of the circle, you begin to realize that um, that Christian freedom and and self-chosen imprisonment to Christ like meet back at the top. That the most free person of all was the one who made himself a servant and a slave to all. That that the most free of us ever was the one who, by his own volition, felt an overwhelming desire to do for us and counted it what? All joy. And so early on in the Christian life, we experience this little bit of freedom. Where we're like, man, I used to be addicted to this thing, and now I'm not anymore. And we will celebrate that every step of the way. And it's a, it's a sign of God moving. And then you get a little bit uh, more mature in your Christian faith, and you go, wow, I, I'm, I'm more loving and kind than I used to be. And then usually at some point in the journey, you get to this point, you say, there were all these things that I used to think that I could never do. And now I do some of them. And I've realized that it doesn't matter whether or not that God loves me and I, and I still do them. And then usually a little bit later in the journey, you go, there were all of these things that I used to not think that I could do, but then I started doing them. And now I don't even want to do them anymore. And I'm actually free from wanting to do what I used to didn't think I could do. Right? There were like shows that I used to watch because I was like, I wasn't allowed to watch this as a kid. So I'm watching The Simpsons. <laughs> then I got to this point and I'm like, I don't ever want to watch The Simpsons again. And there are things in your Christian life that you do that and then you keep working around this Christian freedom because the truth of the gospel is just sending you more and more free. And then you get to this place of Christian freedom. It's a place I hope I end up someday. As you get more and more free, where you look at the scriptures, and the last thing that they seem to you in the world is restrictive. Where, where like David um, dancing in the street, saying, "I delight in the law of the Lord. I delight in the law of the Lord." where where you look at the scriptures and, 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 and the last thing it would feel like is an imprisonment. And you say, I just want to get more and more into it. I want to get more and more free. And as you do it, what you then do is you say, I will make myself more and more of a slave to every person and to Christ. And the ultimate end of your noticeable, the ultimate end of noticeable Christian freedom is the person who can say, Oh, even if, it, even if it takes me to a cross. It's Stephen in the scriptures. Stones being thrown. Screaming out in worship and praise. That's a dude who was free. That's a guy who was free. Friend, this morning... Christian freedom is living in the Spirit, knowing and learning deeper the truths of the gospel in such a way that when you begin to identify self inflicted slavery back on yourself, you can throw it off and continue to walk in the Spirit. And wherever you're at on the freedom journey this morning, go deeper. Into Christ. And through this series, please, 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 please don't walk out going, okay, I am going to figure out exactly what I have to do to be more free. I want your prayer this series to be Jesus, you set me free. I would expect and hope that if this series is effective, Some of you might even smile by the end of it. Let's pray. Father, what a miserable state to have been set free by the most liberating thing ever you paying all of the penalty of all of our mistakes, but then still living a life like we have to pay for. Them. This is no way to go through life, Lord. And so I pray the truth of forgiveness secured by your work on the cross would work itself deeper and deeper into our hearts throughout this series. Jesus, help us to become more and more aware how little we have done and how much you have done to be right before you. And Father, I pray for my friends here today that might be caught up in religious slavery, thinking that they have to do, do, do in order to be in right relationship with you. Would you just free them from it this morning? Jesus, I pray for my friends who are in Christ, but yet the flesh is winning, how oh, would you set them free this morning? Just set them free. And teach us how to walk in freedom, Lord, so that we might be a people that are loving and joyful and kind in all of these things. I pray this in your name, Jesus, because it's the only way it can happen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connectcard. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.